All right, let's start with the riddle here. Here's a riddle. A man and his son were driving together in their car. And they have an accident. And the man dies. And his son is severely hurt. And the son is taken to a nearby hospital. And he's brought in an ambulance, and everyone's looking at him and making sure he's okay, and he's worried about him, and he's taken into an OR. And in the OR, the surgeon who's going to be working on him looks at him and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How is this possible? Don't yell it out if you know the answer. That's our riddle for today. Hmm. And somehow I put my sermon after the next song. I'm just going to skip over here. So we're going to hold on to that riddle. It's going to annoy you, hopefully, if you haven't figured out the answer yet. I want it to allow it to sit there and just annoy you for the next 20 or so minutes, okay? We're going to be speaking today about the reign of King Josiah and one very important event that happened during it. And King Josiah is a really cool guy. Uh, He had a father who was what we probably consider extremely wicked. Uh, He was bad. He uh, destroyed a lot of the things that were holy to God. He overthrew godly worship and practice in the Old Testament. Uh, Manasseh uh, did a whole bunch of bad things, including like build a whole bunch of high places to other gods and require the people of Israel to go and worship there. Manasseh is one of the like worst kings in the history of Egypt, of, of Israel. One of the worst kings in the history of Israel. And Josiah became king. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned for 31 years. So just consider this. I'm throwing this out here. This guy became king at a younger age than some of the people we just sent upstairs to learn little kid Bible stories. Okay? He became king quite young, and he reigned for over 30 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah and Bozketh. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Isaiah, the son of Mazuth, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkah the high priest, that he may count the money of which has been brought to the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there, is no, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkah the high priest said to Shephan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkah gave the book to Shephan, and he read it. So Shephan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shephan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And the king read it, and Shaphan read it before the king. And now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. So this king had reigned for 18 years, about halfway through his reign. And he decides to start building up the temple, which had been brought into disrepair and really just neglected by the people who had come before him. And so he says, we're just going to gather the money that was given to the temple offering, and we're going to distribute that out to workmen to rebuild the glory of the Lord to rebuild this temple. And so this rebuilding begins to occur. 
And so people are already working, digging through, pulling out stuff, probably going through back old storerooms of random things that you have no idea when they've been there. But if you've ever been in a religious house, you'd be amazed at how many random things can gather in back corners. Uh, Trust me. Trust me. Just go look around here at some point, and you'd be amazed at the random stuff that's hidden back there. But one thing that was found was a book called the Book of the Law. Now, the Book of the Law is the name given to the Book of Deuteronomy in the Book of Deuteronomy, and at the beginning of First Kings and Second Kings, it's described. And so at some point... Pause, I'm getting yelled at. Close this out. Quit. My apologies. Hi, guys. This is totally worth it. So this is how the people in the nursery hear what I'm saying so that they actually can listen to the words I'm speaking. And now there is sound for them to hear. Okay. Sorry. For some reason, it decides to just cut out sometimes. I will not do that again. If it goes out, she can deal. And I'll let her hear the recording later. Oh, and she actually just heard that because she's listening to me now. So what's occurring is I am in trouble. You guys have just watched someone get into trouble. And you seem to be enjoying it. That's bad of you. Come now. Anywho. Oh, I love you. Okay. (laughs) Back in. All right. So they find this book, the book of the law. Uh, Deuteronomy. And, fun story, it is unknown to the king, and it is unknown to the priest. (laughs) And it's unknown to the learned scholar, who is basically like a scholar of their religion in the day. So at some point between the beginning of the book of Kings and the point that we're at now, this book had been pulled away from public knowledge. And to us, that sounds ridiculous. We might say, how does this happen? How does a book just disappear? But whenever you consider the fact that for most of history, the majority of people were not literate, and that for most of history, books like this were passed through oral tradition until they were then written down, and that these written down things had to be copied by hand meticulously and were passed around as family heirlooms at times, even just like old school, rich family heirlooms, and very few people had access to a figure. I'm not in trouble. It's okay. It's okay. And... These books were very, very unavailable to the general public. Certain learned men had access to them. Certain people had authority over them. And it was possible for someone to just wipe it out. And likely during Manasseh's reign, this horrible king who pushed away godly teachings probably also tried his best to suppress the Bible the Old Testament, the, the, the literature that people used and followed, and to the point where one of the first five books of Moses actually was unknown to the people of Israel at this point. It's kind of. Manasseh was bad, in case you're wondering. Okay? So the king sees this book, has this book read to him, hears the words of it, and literally rends his garments in grief. Because he's worried if this is true, we have been denying a decent portion of what the Lord has called us to do as his people for a decent period of time. Now, anytime someone comes up to you carrying a random scroll, 
and saying, this is the word of God, trust me. You never just trust him, all right? If I walk up to you with a nice little tablet and say, here you go, you can go ahead and probably ignore me if I have no proof that this is something that was of us. Luckily, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judea had someone they could fall back on and talk to and discuss things with of a godly nature. You see, as you walk through the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings, oftentimes you can see that the kings that are pulled out and spoken about have someone who's with them who actually uh, is quite close to the word of God and acts as quite close to God himself and act as a, uh, a sort of tempering agent on the kings and their nasty habits. And these are the prophets. Pretty much every notable king of Israel had a prophet that went with him. Saul, the first king of Israel, had Samuel. Samuel was also a prophet for David, but then David also got Nathan, right? Uh, Isaiah was a prophet during Hezekiah's reign. There were multiple prophets throughout other people's reigns. And as you look through the prophets, oftentimes the, there would be like a head prophet of Israel, and there would also be the king of Israel. And these two together would be the ones who, uh, as we read, we can discern what God's will is. Because if the king is doing right and holy, the prophet approves of that. If the king is doing horrible things, the prophets don't approve and eventually disappear because, you know, mean people who are being told to stop doing things often kill people. They would get rid of their prophets. There were attempts to actually stamp out the prophets of Israel during certain people's reigns uh, and appoint prophets from other religions, which is what happened whenever we hear uh, about Ezekiel and all the fire, or Elijah and all the fire from heaven. Uh, the king had attempted to stamp out the prophets of Israel completely. There was one true prophet of Israel left, the other prophets of prophets of Baal, and it did not go well for the prophets of Baal. Simply put. So this king sees this book, needs to know if it's of God and what he should do because of it. And so he turns to his advisors and says, take it to the prophet. Then the king commanded Hilkah the priest, Anakim the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judea, Judah, concerning the word of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have, obeyed, have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that was written concerning us. So I want you to check out this council of Elrond being sent out to go and discern what the Lord's will is, right? The king is sending uh, his high scribe, uh, the son of his scribe, the high priest himself, and like multiple of his own servants. And so pretty much everyone that could hold authority besides the king himself is being sent to discern the will of the Lord, to find out what it is. Fun story, during this time as well, both Jeremiah and, who's the other one? Who's the, other, who's the other prophet now? Yeah. There's two during Josiah's reign. Sweet. There are two prophets that actually wrote Scripture during Josiah's reign. Jeremiah and another, right? And you would probably think, Jeremiah, that guy, pretty big deal. He has a really big book in the Bible. But I'm betting at this point, Jeremiah was off laying on his side somewhere. Because he did that for a large period of time. So they go. So Hilkah the priest, Achim, Achor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. 
Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all of the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forgotten me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the words of their hand, works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire to the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against his inhabitants, that which they would become a desolation, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Following this, the king went. And he fulfilled the words in the book of Deuteronomy to the best of his ability. He tore down all the high places to the other gods. He removed all of the things that were not supposed to be in the temple and put the things that were supposed to be in the temple back in the temple. He rebuilt the temple. He led massive uh, times of mourning and grief for the people of Israel, lamentation for the sin they've done against the Lord. And he is now numbered among one of the best kings of Israel ever. You may not realize this, but check this out. Who do you think was the greatest king in all of Israel? Best ever? David? David, some says. Who else? What do we got? Jesus. Well, of course. Come on now. Sunday school answer. Whatever. All right. Check this out. In the next portion of this book. This is talking about Josiah. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses nor after him did any arise like him. Guys, when a biblical author straight up says there has been no king like you beforehand who has served the Lord in this way and there will be no king like you afterwards you're probably a pretty big deal. And fun story, just check out those with all his heart and all of his soul and all of his might. Does that remind you of anything? Huh? Did anyone else say those words? Sunday school answer? Go ahead. Jesus. Whenever told how we are called to love God, this is what's echoed. Fun story because it's also echoed back in the books that they were working through. This is a big deal. Messiah was a big deal. Might have skipped over one thing real quick that we're going to dive back into. Real fun, real fast. Remember that riddle that I told you? Who here knows the answer to it? What's the answer? The surgeon was his mom. A man and his son are in a car accident. And when the car accident occurs, the man dies, the son is taken to the hospital where he is rushed into the OR, and the OR surgeon who sees him says, I can't operate on him. This is my son. The OR surgeon is his mom. Fun story. That riddle, whenever asked to 158 liberal college students, people who go to liberal arts schools that are not associated with Christianity and who have a relatively high propensity of affluent parents who generally would be people who work in fields like medicine, and many of whom had moms who are doctors, were asked this question, 78% couldn't answer it right. Whenever asked of kids 
and approximately the same amount of people, the same amount of children, could not answer it as well, and children were more likely to make up ridiculous answers. <laughs> Things like, Dad came back to life. Dad was a vampire. He didn't actually die. <laughs> like, just random things. They were more likely to say that than to answer this riddle correctly. I asked this question of numerous women in authority, and many of them did not answer it correctly. In our culture, there is an assumption that certain roles are men's, certain roles are women's, and because we hold those assumptions, whenever we read or hear something, we oftentimes will just describe maleness or femaleness to the person who does them. So, for years, I have read this text and known it. I have known about the book that was lost and the book that was found. I have known about Josiah and his goodness. I have known and understood just how important it was that they turned to their prophet to try and find out whether or not this was an appropriate thing to do. What I didn't pick up on until about meh, three months ago, the prophet they turned to was female. She was the greatest authority in what was God's will and was not God's will that existed in Jerusalem at that time. The king and his greatest advisors turned to her to determine whether or not this book was God's will. Interesting. Right? There's something called observational bias. It's a thing where if you assume an outcome already, you're more likely to pay attention to things that support that outcome. This happens a lot in medicine, honestly. It happens a lot in studies. Uh, confirmation bias, the same thing. This is why whenever people do medical trials, they do double-blind studies, wherein both the person who is administering the trial and the person who is receiving the trial don't know who is getting what portion of the trial because they don't want the person who knows, they don't want anyone to know what's happening who's involved in the actual process here because it's too easy to introduce bias into it. And this is why there's so much that is poured into trying to discern whether bias exists within studies and things of that nature because bias creeps in. Whenever we read the Old Testament, if we start with the assumption that authority rests in men alone, we gloss over scriptures like this. And we read about all the kings, and that's it. Now, fun story again. We're going to dive back in here real quick. Who does authority ultimately rest in? God. Authority is his. Hola didn't speak out of her own authority. She didn't say, this is what I say. Her response was, this is what God says. This is what the Lord says. And so everyone that we see in this story, Hulda, the servants of the high king, the king himself, the servants of the high priest, the high priest himself, everyone was submitting themselves to God, which is what we're all called to do, right? There's a reason why whenever we read in Romans what Paul says you must do to be saved, that one of the things he says is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's calling for you to submit yourself to your God to place yourself under his authority and to accept it. This is part of the gospel, guys. It's not just about saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord. It's recognizing the ramifications of Jesus being your Lord. Josiah recognized the ramifications of God being Lord, and he acted accordingly. He noted his sin. He noted the sins of his people, and he repented 
Repenting being that whenever you recognize, whenever you have been not following Christ in his will, you turn away from it and walk in a different direction. The people of Israel had been walking away from God for centuries. And Josiah recognized it, apologized to God for it, and made changes to his behavior to move away from it. That's the rest of his story. And that willingness, not his perfection, because Josiah wasn't perfect. He, for the first 18 at least years of his reign, had no idea he wasn't following God. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right forever. But he recognized whenever he was wrong, and he was willing to change. Now, because of this, and because of the sin the people of Israel had already been coming under, the wrath of God was on them. It was. They were going to suffer, and they were going to be broken, and they were going to be made to be brought low to the point where they had to rely on God or else they would just cease to exist. All right? Eventually this occurred. That's the same thing that Jeremiah was prophesying about the entire time. He was proclaiming the fact that at some point, Judah was going to be gone. The Babylonians would come through, sweep through, take everybody away, destroy everything that had been built up, leave no one left behind, and take everyone into captivity. And that came to pass. It did. But, because this king and his people heard, it didn't happen during their time. And what's more, though Hulda doesn't talk about it in this section, whenever she's prophesying in Second Chronicles and whenever other prophets speak about it, especially Jeremiah, people of that nature, we learn something else too, which is the fact that while the wrath of God would be played out on these people, there was also a possibility of hope and restoration that would occur. And there would be a time whenever God would restore his kingdom to himself. And he would bring them back to himself. And he would restore them back to the land and the promise that he had given to them. That they would be his people, he would be their God. And the restoration began in 486 BC. The restoration continued whenever the people of Israel returned fully to their land. The restoration met its ultimate uh, resolution whenever Christ came and proclaimed his kingdom and restored Israel himself. There's a reason why he appointed 12 apostles, guys. Why he pulled 12 people. He was symbolically restoring Israel to its old glory under his own lordship. And he did. This whole story is about God and what he does. It's all about him. What are our takeaways from this, guys? We've got a couple of them that are pretty easy. One, duh, don't make assumptions when you're reading the Bible about anything. One of the things we talked about during our Bible study this week is the fact there's two things you can do whenever you're reading the Bible and trying to learn what it means. And the first one is called exegesis. This is where you actually read the Bible and try to determine what it is saying and draw meaning from it. The other one is called eisegesis. That's the bad one. That's the one where you actually start with your own preconceived notions and thoughts and take them into the Bible with you and try to make the Bible say what you want it to say. We don't get to do that. We're called to be observant, to learn what Scripture teaches, and to, as Josiah did, make our life line up with it to the best of our abilities. We can't do it perfectly. He can. We can ask for him to come back. We are to 
submit ourselves to God. We are to recognize that our sin does have consequences. We cannot overlook the fact that sin has consequences, guys. And Israel's sin had consequences. But we can also not overlook the fact that we have a God who is merciful and kind and just and loving and who will restore his people. Nothing can be done that can take away God's will from happening. Nothing can overcome it. Fun story, one of the reasons why prophecy occurred and the people were forewarned of the fact that Babylon would come through was because God had to let the people know, hey, this is going to happen. You're not going to like it. Everything will be going to crap. It's going to be bad. But I promise you, you will not be wadded out of this earth forever. A remnant will remain, and I will restore you by my power, by my will. You see, the people of Israel, while hearing what was going to occur because of their sin, were also given hope. And we hold the same hope. You may be looking and thinking and considering, man, whenever I read the Bible, I don't line up. I don't do well enough. I don't act well enough. I'm not good enough. And you're right. You're not good enough. I'm not either. If all we do is we look at the things that we fall short on and we recognize the fact that we fall short and we just take it as, well, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to be able to do anything. If that's where we end on, we have no hope. We're in trouble. Yeah, you're not good enough. Have a good day. Our hope comes from this. While we may not be good enough, Christ is. We could not by our own goodness and by our own will perfectly glorify God the Father. But Christ, by his own goodness and by his own will, can. We cannot overcome our own sin natures. He can. We cannot pay the penalty for our own sin. He can. And he did. We cannot in our own power overcome our own sinfulness. He can. It's all about him. In the mercy shown to Josiah and the mercy shown to his people, we catch a light glimpse of the mercy God is showing to us now. They got to taste it temporally. We get to taste it forever. This is how good our God is. So as you go today, I want you to walk out. I want you to remember how good your God is. I want you to remember the fact that he covers over your sins whenever you can't cover over them yourself. I want you to walk out and remember that he loves you in the midst of your rebellion. But I also want you to walk out and realize that if this is the God you serve, why wouldn't you submit yourself to him? So pray. Submit. And thank him for his love.